Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. And so I want to talk tonight about the power of eternal encouragement. I want to talk about, even though it's sometimes it may be slower than you hope for, the, the, the priority is finishing and you get rewards, certificates, even for being the slowest. Can you say amen? Anyway, come on, let's get going. <laughs> so we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get into this. Uh, oops, thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. <laughs> Just stated myself there. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Wise men say, only fool. Okay, sorry. I love the way this church is, it breaks all the principles of a growing big church. You sing these old songs, people are asking, why did we sing that song tonight? It's very easy. I'm narcissistic enough to say to you, that's one of my favorite songs, and Jesus knows that I'm one of his favorites. <laughs> so thank you so much for singing that blast from the past. Thank you for mentioning people's birthdays and all of those personal things in a big church like this. And so I cannot tell you enough, thank you from Glenda and I, congratulations the commendation of heaven is on you. And I'm just going to get straight into this because, friends, I believe that what's, what this journey that you've taken has not happened by accident. It has not happened by some haphazard meandering. This has happened primarily by courage. It takes courage to do these kind of things in Adelaide. It takes courage to stand against the norm. It takes courage to free people from a victim mindset and a blame projection mindset. It takes courage to do that. It takes courage to build robust, passionate believers. That, that, that had never came by accident, never came in a vacuum. It came in the context of courageous leadership. And, and discouragement is a dangerous thing. The happiest people on this planet are courageous people. To be encouraged is to have courage put in you, that dare I can't say dare devil, but that dare anointing, I dare to do it. That courage comes supernaturally into our hearts because courageous people are the happiest people on the planet because they believe that inside of them, there's a supreme supernatural capacity in God to overcome and is bigger than anything that can come against them. Come on, give him a shout and just give him a praise here. I am not naturally a courageous person. I am, I think by temperament, probably quite cowardly and wimpy, but, but the supernatural God came on the inside of me. The self-sufficient, self-existent God came on the inside of you and me in Christ Jesus, and He changes us. You see, when you go through prolonged periods of discouragement, which is hard to believe this church ever has had those periods, but I can guarantee you, every time you're at a pivotal point, every time you're moving to the next stage, there comes times of, of potential discouragement. And prolonged discouragement is a dangerous thing because people that go through prolonged discouragement uh, have the emotions uh, worn out and they are vulnerable to the deception of surrendering the big God picture for your life and settling for an illegitimate counterfeit small picture that is not worthy of you. Come on. You know, I, please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say because it's no insinuation in this house or anybody here. But I want to use this as, as, as a vivid picture. Um, 
You know, Judas Iscariot was called and anointed and appointed by Jesus to carry the partnership of the privilege of an apostolic assignment with Jesus Christ to affect time and eternity. And he abdicated that assignment. Why? Because discouragement and negativity and jealousy and comparison with others who he became jealous of caused him to abdicate the big God picture of his life and settle for something totally counterfeit and totally illegitimate and not worthy of him. And I want to ask you, how many people here tonight think that when Judas got the 30 pieces of silver in his hands, he went, wow, this is phenomenal. Whoa, what a glorious replacement. What a worthwhile substitution for missing out on an apostolic assignment to affect time and eternity. And so there's nothing critical, and I'm saying this gently and I hope redemptively, that there are so many, I've been around 35 years in ministry, so many believers in the last few years have have settled for the small picture, the little picture, the illegitimate picture of their lives because of offenses and discouragement and wrong ideas of what it means to be a believer, wrong ideas what it means about apostolic, robust, strong, passionate local churches that thrive in discomfort and challenges and difficulties. Amen. And I sense in this house that bigness, that passion. Yeah. That's what I sense here. I mean, how much silver... And what, what else could replace an apostolic assignment or a partnership with God and partnership with people in a local church that are affecting time and eternity? What could possibly be worth surrendering the big God picture for that? And I want you to read a scripture quickly just to make it seem legal. Um, so we read 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. And verse 16, it says, May our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who loved us and by His grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. I counted it an honor to get a certificate for finishing (laughs) And I live with a constant awareness of an accountability to the throne of God that at the end of my life, I want to look back and know that I finished every assignment and every calling and every purpose of God, no matter whether it was popular, whether everyone understood you all the time, whether you went through suffering, loneliness, and heartache. For me, the deliverance from the addiction to man's approval so that you can do the Father's assignment is so profoundly important on this planet. Uh, People who travel up in the ships on the northern oceans, on the northern lanes, are often stunned and amazed that these mighty big icebergs move against the powerful prevailing winds that blow every day in the same direction. And these icebergs move against the direction of the winds. The secret is, is that six-seventh of the size of that iceberg is buried below the surface of the ocean. And mighty underwater currents that are more powerful than the prevailing winds keep progressively moving the icebergs in the right direction. What I want to try to share tonight very quickly is that the Christian secret is that the majority of our being is in the, under, is in the currents 
of eternal divine encouragement that keeps us prevailing progressively to press towards our mark, to finish our race, even though every day, not every second day, every day, winds of discouragement come against those that are committed to see and live with a reference with eternity. And I'm not talking about sitting at the rapture bus stop just waiting to get out of this evil world. I'm talking about changing this world, transforming education, transforming politics, arts, science, every economic education, changing the culture of the cities and the nation we live in. But there's a sense of living with eternity in mind and an awareness that I need to keep pressing to that mark and I can't do it unless my being is submerged in the mighty divine currents of eternal encouragement. So, so, <laughs> I say this the kindest way. There's some people in this house, you're in your teens, you're in your 20s, what a joy. And I hope to just touch on that in a, in a little while. But and there's some of us now, I'll be 60 years age in three months' time. And I really feel good for at least another 30 to 40 years of ministry. And I'm not joking about that either. I'm just warming up. I only passed my apprenticeship in 08 of 08 of 08. So I'm really glad and I'm excited. And I'm, my, the vision of God is pulling us. I could tell you stories of what's, what we're doing and nations and our Muslim nations have been changed as we're going there. And the church is growing by the conversion of Islamic people to Christ and, and, and Muslim women who were Muslims taking off the burqa and worshiping Jesus open-faced and Muslim nation. And Glenda and I, just this little couple, are doing that. And, and all the things we've pushed through, especially in the last 10 years, make it all worthwhile because, friends, there is this sense of living with eternity in mind. And if you're in your early 20s, how blessed you are. If you keep going decade after decade after decade, and I'm not just saying this and faking it. Glenda's lived with me as my wife for 39 years, and we have eight grandchildren and all that stuff, but we have never backslidden. We have never deviated. We have no, never given up, and we've just keep going, not because we are naturally courageous people, but He puts eternal encouragement to keep going against the prevailing winds of this discouragement. And I love what Tony said about we, we look for sensational things to call them miracles, but we don't honor often great miracles that are happening because we're looking for the sensational rather than the supernatural. It is amazing that Tony is standing up walking around after such a traumatic operation. It's just a stunning and amazing and great God. And when you meet people who have been walking with Jesus for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and they haven't become uh, cynical or skeptical, they've got this innocence, this pure heart, this sense of freshness. They're not bored. They are excited about even the mundane routines that we required as Christians to go on. We're not wanting to be stimulated and excited all the time. We are, we are committed when we are in the great blessings, when there's less blessings, we are living living with an eternal reference point. You see, this is the one thing that I've lived with, and I want to give it to you, all the, Glenda and I, all these years, and it's simply this, and I want to sum up the rest of the message in one sentence. Whatever our Father begins in your life, He will finish it. When the Father put a dream in your heart, He put a desire in your heart, He put an ambition in your heart, and that's a good word, ambition for the kingdom. 
when he put that vision in your heart, that passion, that little desire that kept growing, wouldn't go away. When he did that, when he did that, he had already committed himself and all his resources to help you finish what he began in your life. It just takes a lot longer than what we mostly assume when we're in our 20s. Now, those of you in your 20s are going to get to where we got to faster than we did because you're in an incubator in this house. You have an acceleration going on you, but you still have to go through process. You see, our God is Alpha and Omega. He is beginning and end. Jesus is the champion finisher. Hebrews 12 says, you know, run your race that has been marked out for you with patient endurance. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. He's the champion finisher. On the cross, he cried out in triumph, it is finished. And then rose from the dead. You were co-crucified. You Christian, you were co-crucified with Christ. You were co-buried with Christ. You were co-raised with Christ. You have been co-ascended with Christ. You are co-seated with Christ in the heavenly realms and you are co-equal heir with Christ and an heir of God. You are baptized in the champion finisher. And it doesn't matter how long it seems to take. And it doesn't matter how difficult it seems to take. He will never lose interest in you. He'll never give up on the dream. He knows what he put into you. He's got the resources and he's committing, he's committed to finish what he has begun. You are seeing for maybe 25 years ago was unimaginable as to what's happening in this house. But some people began to think and imagine and to dream. And now what's happening here is, is, is awesome. It is wonderful. But God wants you to continue dreaming, continue thinking, never settle down, keep breaking the mold, keep moving to the next level, the next level. It's not because you're trying to be more valuable and more important. You are valuable whether you do nothing. If you sat in a room for the rest of your life and ate hamburgers and said, Jesus loves me, you'd be telling the truth and he would love you the same as if you made the inconvenience to stretch further and go further. We are not serving Him to get, us, get Him to love us more. We are serving with a secure identity because in Christ, in grace, we have His approval, we have His acceptance, and we have our identity. That is always secure. Can you say amen? amen. The creator of the heavens and the earth to Victory Chapel, Victory, Chapel, Victory Church and to every individual here, the particular uh, mix of the mystery of who you are and what God's designed you to be and what He's called you and that vision that pulls you into your future. He's committed His infallible, infinite resources of faithfulness to you because of His matchless grace and love for you. You see, you see 30 pieces of silver, 1,000 pieces of silver, the accolades and the popularity of the, this temporary age the celebrity status that comes in this temporary age is a fleeting phantom that is soon gone. But there's an accolade from heaven. There's a sense of I'm captured, I'm arrested. Paul said, I am a prisoner of Christ. You know, Paul, that apostle, do you know, do you know if you read the New Testament, uh, he was shipwrecked several times. I don't know if I would have had the courage to go on an apostolic journey with Paul. I would be like John Mark. I would have deserted halfway. 
But he was whipped, 39 lashes that should kill you. He was betrayed, he was slandered, he was abandoned. Churches he planted abandoned him for celebrity type situations. They gave up on him, they, they, they lied about him. I mean, he said he was, he was attacked by rivers. I think, Paul, are you exaggerating? He said, no, he was naked and beaten. And, and I, just, I just think, what kind of life is that? And then he says, at the end of all that, he says, and these momentary light afflictions are storing up for me an eternal weight of glory. There's someone living with an eternal weight of glory in mind. And in any modern, am I talking to fast? Any modern psychiatrist who studies Paul and say, you lying, mate. Those are traumatic things. Any one of them would, could devastate a human being. Paul suffered some of those traumatic things simultaneously. And yet he caused them momentary light afflictions, storing up an eternal weight of glory. At the end of his life, these are Paul's triumphant words, I have run my race. And they said, I've run my course. I have finished the race. And now all that is waiting for me is the crown of glory or the eternal crown. Now I've checked that, those words, eternal crown. I've checked those out uh, with theologians. I can't wa- find one theologian who can explain what that eternal crown is. It's not salvation because if you're in Christ, you're going to heaven for sure. It's something else. And I can't explain what it is. Don't really need to, but this I do know. What Paul was talking about, eternal crown, is a lot more precious and infinitely more valuable than 30 pieces of silver. That was his legitimate big God picture call to change Australia benefits because Paul's willingness to be inconvenienced and to suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I make up in my body the sufferings of Christ, Colossians 1. He's not saying Christ's death on the cross was inadequate. It was finished. We were redeemed. But the administration of that cross, to get that truth into nations and into cultures and into different age groups, takes a generation of people to be willing to go through some difficulties and some hard times as this church has been and to be courageous because you are dipped into the, under, the currents of divine, eternal encouragement that is enabling you to go against the prevailing philosophies, ideologies and cultures of nations that are in rebellion to the Most High God. And do it with grace, with joy and with love and kindness and with passion. You know, we live in a very noisy world and some noises are great and I love Hong Kong, but it's a very noisy city and noisy machinery and, and people, you know, you know, braggarts and boastful people, they speak loudly like empty clashing cymbals. And the voice that wants to seduce you and me to mediocrity or to live an average life is a very loud voice. And yet when we think God's if he's going to talk to us about a big dream or big vision, we think he must speak louder than the loud, braggart voices. But those who walk with God know that most time God speaks, he doesn't speak with a loud voice. Sometimes he just speaks with an inward impression. Sometimes it's a quiet, still voice. Or sometimes it's a growing passion and desire to invest your life into an aspect of the kingdom of God. First investment, I believe, is into the local church to see healthy, thriving local churches. And sometimes when 
things are delayed and things are taking a bit longer, we begin to question, did I really hear God? Is that really God? Because the voices that are trying to pull me back into bitterness or offense or a victim mindset or saying it's not worth it, those voices often speak louder. But I want to tell you, God has not called any of us. And I talk to individuals now because you're in a great church moving forward. But I'm talking to some individuals now. God never called you to live a life unrewarded, unfulfilled, a small little life. He's put the seeds of greatness in you and He's called you to reign and to rule in a jurisdiction and a sphere of influence that He has given to you. And never sell that short because of delay or suffering or contradiction or thinking it's impossible. Just keep going. Can you say amen? Because I want to tell you that even though you've been through cycles of pain and maybe protracted sickness or long financial problems and when will the resources come? When will I get out of debt? When will I step into that bigger picture of my life? Those questions are legitimate. We can ask them. But just know this, that the God who is faithful, He did put that dream in your heart. He put that aspiration, that unique thing in your heart for your life. And that voice was the Lord God Almighty. Last year, Glenda came, you can't get closer to death than what Glenda came to last year. And I I love this girl. I mean, she's my sweetheart. That's why I cried at the end of Notebook because I'm totally in love with her. And I've been that way for 39 years. And I married her when she was 17 because I was scared that someone else would get her if I didn't get her first. (laughs) And she has been an amazing woman. I mean, just standing with me, walking through all kinds of things. It's hard to tell people some of the things we went through in Hong Kong because it's just, we don't know how to explain it, but it, it felt, Paul the Apostle said, we felt the sentence of death in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, way be, which is not Hong Kong, it's up there in Macedonia. But he said, we were under great, Second Corinthians chapter 1 verse 8, he said, we were under great pressure, way beyond our ability to endure. We felt actually the sentence of death. But he said, this happened to us, so we don't trust in ourselves, but God who raises the dead. And he has, he has delivered us, and he will continue to deliver us in response to the prayers of many. And she came so close to death, the surgeon looked me in the eye, and he said, Mr. Riffis, he has a big aneurysm. It's a giant one. We don't even know if it's operable. She could die any minute now. We have to do emergency surgery. He told me they've got to shave her head, go into the scar. I mean, I can't believe this is my girl. And it was like a surreal thing. And then, then they said, no, look, it could take three hours. And in the waiting room there in Hong Kong and hearing all these Cantonese people around me who I love, uh, you know, but, but I, I began to hear voices coming to my head and going, you know, you should go back to your secular university training when you studied, before you were Christian and you, were st- you studied in a secular university, a secular degree. Give up on this Christian rubbish. There's a lot of nonsense. Get real. You know, we've seen people come out of wheelchairs, right, John, Adelaide. They went on national prime time in Australia. We've seen miracles that doctors have had to verify. But my mind was closing down with the intensity of the opposition, the winds that were blowing at me. Any minute, Rob, the doctor's gonna come through, the voice said, and he's going to say, sorry, Mr. Rufus, uh, but she, your wife bled out. She's gone. And, and it was so convincing. 
And, and I, I had to break this. It was intense, six hours. And so eventually in this crowd, I just lifted my hands and I said, Father, I love you from the depth of my heart and I know that you love me and I know that every negative thing that happens in my life is not you punishing me. You've already punished Jesus at the cross. The punishment for my peace was put on him. You've taken an oath never to be angry with me again. You took that oath in the new covenant and you have, you, you have redeemed me. And so this thing that's happening is not you. You're not... You're you didn't put this aneurysm on Glenda. And I know it's your will for her to live. But I want to say to you, Father, that if she comes home to be with you today, I will love you and I will serve you and I'll be passionate for all the days of my life because I know you are worthy and I know you are glorious and you are worthy, Lord. And I will give you everything I've left all the days of my life. And at that point, he interrupted me in that gentle, tender a whisper of kindness. And it was a chuckle. I heard the divine chuckle of the Father. He said, son, I know that's in your heart, but your wife is not going to die today. I'm, she's going to come through this operation and I'm going to celebrate Glenda and I'm going to put on her on display as a mother to nations and you will work, walk hand in hand with her into the nations of the earth. And you know, that's exactly what happened. Recently, Glenda spoke at a massive conference of many leaders in Holland and she was one of the key speakers there and the men were crying and the women were singing with joy as she empowered women. Anyway, God is faithful. He is faithful. So it's wonderful when you celebrate other people's inheriting their dreams, possessing the promises of God. But you continue to be possessed by His promises. He wants to celebrate you individually. He wants you to get your praise for you. Just keep going. Everything you need is already in your future. The right people, the right resources, the right answers are in your future. It's all, all you need is already in your future. Just keep going against the negative prevailing winds by the encouragement of God working on the inside of you. Amen. So my, uh, uh, my dad... William Stanley Rufus died 25 years ago. Uh, he was in Christ. I had the privilege of leading him to Christ. He died of one of the worst ways of dying, liver cancer. Where your body turns yellow, becomes skeletal, and you suffer. And I, I, I long for a miracle of healing. But, you know, one, one and a half years before he he was diagnosed with liver cancer, he was still running uh, long distances. He was healthy. And I was sitting in a on an airplane waiting to take off and, and I felt that inward audible voice say, your dad will, be, will pass away in one and a half years. Uh, just spend more time with him and, and reach out to him and he's gonna come into salvation, which he did. But I always loved my dad. My dad was always an amazing example to me. And uh, I'm now three months from the age that my dad passed from this earth. He, he died obviously at 60. And uh, some months ago, I was sitting at my desk thinking about something else. And suddenly, I, I saw this picture of my dad three days before he passed away. He didn't want to die in a hospital. He wanted to die at home. And so my mom and I nursed him. Not that we had to do any nursing because he, he actually, he just walked with dignity. We just, wasn't much to do. But I remembered him walking up this steep staircase to his bedroom for the last time. And that all came back to me because when you need encouragement, God's going to bring it to you through unusual ways. And so I repictured that, and so I wrote this poem about my dad, and I'm going to try and begin to bring this to a close. Um, there's no one laughs because you don't know me. No, I am going to bring it to a close. But, um, 
And normally I close three times. Tonight I'm closing on the first time. <laughs> this is too much of a privilege to be here to abuse it. And so I honor this opportunity. And so I wrote this poem just a little while ago um, called the day, the day My Dad Walked Straight Back Up the Stairs. The reason why it was such a deeply moving experience for me was because it was the last time he walked up the long flight of steps to his bedroom where he passed away a few days later. He'd been suffering with liver cancer for two years. As he stood at the bottom of the stairs, I know that he knew that I was watching him. I was ready to help him up the stairs, but hoping I would not need to interfere with his dignity. This was not a matter of my dad's pride. It was a matter of courage. He was facing a horrific death from liver cancer, and he was determined to do it with dignity to save us who loved him from sorrow upon sorrow. He did it so well, nonchalantly holding the handrail in his right hand at the bottom of the steps. But he did not know that I noticed the deep breath he took at the bottom of the steps as he steeled himself to make the ascent. Then I watched those legs that had run many dozens of marathons as well as 11 ultramarathons, now withered by cancer's cruel verdict to skeletal frailty. Yet there was no pause or falter. He made it to the top without a waver and into his bed from which he never rose again. I don't think this side of eternity he will ever know the impact of that simple act of courage and dignity that he made on his firstborn son. Now, now I am three months from the age that he left this frail and mortal world. And I, I know he did this demonstration of courage for me, and eyes have never feasted on a more inspiring example. I have lost count of the times that in the power of the Holy Spirit, I've drawn from our dad's love for me and showing such, a, such dignity and suffering and such resolution in facing his death. I had always loved him, but I loved him greatly in that moment that seemed to epitomize and, and describe all the essence of the man, William Stainer Rufus, my dad. I want to be able to take a deep breath when necessary and hold the stair rails of life nonchalantly, yet aware that a generation is watching for fathers and mothers in the kingdom to show courage when facing suffering, and even in the ultimate conclusion of passing from this world, to not flinch, to not flinch, but straighten their backs and walk up that final staircase. My, ab my admiration for my dad that moment was transferred to me and has carried me through many occasions of personal pain and discouragement. The power of example is the legacy my dad left me. My personal hope is I will be given grace to multiply that legacy into this precious generation of young people today who soon will be the main leaders, examples, mothers and fathers and influences of the future of this planet. Romans 8, verse 28 to verse 31 says this. And we know that in all things, Tony quoted it tonight, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. For those who God foreknew, he predestined, and those he predestined, he called, and those he called, he also chose. And those he chose, he also justified, and those he justified, he has also glorified. Next verse. 
What shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who is it that condemns and accuses? It is God who justifies you. If you live day after day saying, Rob, I've missed my best opportunities. I've made too many mistakes. I haven't been a really good Christian. Do you think God hasn't already made arrangements to love you and process that? Tony said tonight, he knows everything you've been doing and he loves you. There are people today that God is using in amazing ways. And when you look at them, you think, goodness me, why doesn't he use me in that way? I mean, I'm much more holy, much more together. No, because those people have, are living with eternity in mind. They, are, they, have, they have committed their hearts. They have submerged themselves in eternal encouragement. And they're going for it. Can you say amen? There's, there are people here tonight. There's so many things we could have talked about here, but I feel like this is nearly finished. There are people here tonight. So I wish I had a dad like that. Well, no dad is perfect except me, but other dads are not. <laughs> but there's a heavenly father. And he's calling you home. If you've never asked him into your life, or you're not sure if you have or not, be sure tonight before you leave. He's calling you home. We had the privilege of speaking in the Netherlands recently. We're speaking in, 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 in another large church. And uh, we, we had a salvation. We called people to come into the arms of the Father through the love of Christ. And people poured out and came and stood in the front. I'm not going to ask you to do that. But they came and stood at the front. And I noticed in a gathering of whatever, a few thousand, this young man in his middle 20s walked all the way down came past all the people standing in the front, came up the steps, a Dutch man walked right up on the platform, walked up to me, put his arms around me and began to sob and also joy and sobbing at the same time. And the translator, typical Dutch, said, okay, you go down there now for the altar call. <laughs> I said, ach no man, leave him here because I want to pray for him up here. Okay. And then I saw another man come up and also stand there. This young man, we found, I found out afterwards had been molested by his dad for a prolonged period and for a very long time had not allowed another man to come near him. But as I preached on the love of God, the, the Father's love filled the house and he just said, I feel safe for that man. I'm gonna be the, he's going to be the first man I hug and use. And he came and received Christ, hugged. And I felt God says a prophetic sign of a generation they're going to find a safety in the Father's house. That they'll find identity and security and their destiny. In the, and the other man had lost his little child. She had died just a little while before that. And he came and gave his life to Christ. And I stood holding both of their hands. And we led these to Christ and these to Christ. And if you say, Rob, tonight I want to respond to the Father's love. I want to respond to that grace, that favor. I, I cannot live a life that is not big. I can't live a life that is just investing into the trivial. You know that the seeds of greatness are in you. You were created to influence generations to come even and leave legacies in human history. That's the nature of God for you. 
Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 